Well, because we now have that verifiable paper ballot, for the first time in 18 years, we're going to have something to count instead of just pressing a button and getting the same answer. So we'll be counting every single piece of paper, every single ballot. Are you sure about that? Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger? Are you sure? Because I don't think you are. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. It isn't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me... From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. There are 70 days until Inauguration Day on January 20th. There are 55 days until Election Day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs to determine control of the U.S. Senate on January 5. There are 33 days until the Electoral College casts its votes to finalize election 2020 on December 14 and 27 days until the safe harbor deadline for resolving election disputes for the Electoral College on December 8. Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, the uh, our uh, projected president elect Joe Biden Uh, who is not officially the president-elect until the Electoral College meets and votes to that end on December 14. Did you know that, Desi Doyen? I did. And yet everyone calls him president-elect. Yes, yes, it's true. Anyway, uh, Joe Biden... It's all too complicated. Let's uh, just go with the easy stuff. Oh, if you think that's complicated, (laughs) just wait till you see where we're going today. Anyway, Biden uh, continued to push forward with his transition planning on Wednesday amid resistance, yes, resistance from Donald Trump and his administration. They are currently stonewalling the former vice president as the president pursues so far evidence-free claims of fraud in the 2020 election, as we have been reporting and, yes, debunking on this show in recent days in order to challenge the results of the 2020 presidential election, which Donald Trump does not like. According to state counts and media calls, 
Joe Biden has now secured either 279 or 290 electoral college votes, depending on whether the media outlet in question is including Arizona in its call for Joe Biden. Either way, just 270 electoral college votes are needed to secure the presidency, with only two other states, North Carolina and Georgia at this point, having not yet been called by the media. Of course, media calls are not the same thing as state certification of results, and they actually have no official meaning in truth. But we'll get back to that in a moment. In the meantime, thanks to the Trump administration's stonewalling of the transition process, which every serious person, including many Republicans, believes should now be underway, even as states finish up their counting and canvassing and certifying of final results. But because of that stonewalling, Joe Biden has been unable to receive intelligence reports that would normally go to the president or, yes, the president-elect because Trump's unwillingness to acknowledge Biden's apparent victory. On Tuesday, the Democratic president-elect-in-waiting, if I can call him that, called Donald Trump's refusal to concede, quote, an embarrassment and said his transition was nonetheless, quote, well underway. Despite the efforts to stymie his plans, those efforts include the General Service Administration's heads, uh, administration heads refusal to recognize the incoming administration under Donald Trump, uh, it, it, which the the head of the GSA is um, statutorily now delaying millions of dollars in transition funds and access to office space and current government officials under the presidential transition laws. Meanwhile, the Justice Department's elections crime chief has resigned in protest this week after Attorney General Bill Barr, Donald Trump's fixer, directed federal prosecutors to investigate, quote, substantial allegations, unquote, of voter fraud before the presidential race results are actually certified. That is a change to the DOJ's decades-long policy of staying out of elections matters to avoid politicization before results are officially certified and before the Electoral College meets. That director of the uh, DOJ's elections crime branch in the public integrity section of the U.S. DOJ, Richard Pilger, stated on Monday night that the, quote, ramifications of Bill Barr's, quote, new policy abrogating the 40-year-old non-interference policy for ballot fraud investigations in the period prior to elections becoming certified and uncontested, unquote, has led him to, quote, regretfully resign, unquote, from his role at the department where he says he has worked, quote, for over a decade to aggressively and diligently enforce federal criminal election law policy and practice without partisan fear or favor, unquote. In response to that mess, uh, Justin Levitt, a uh, Loyola University law professor who previously worked in the DOJ's Civil Rights Voting Division, uh, he's also appeared on this program a number of times over the years, he tweeted, quote, I had the privilege to work with Richard at DOJ. There isn't any higher level of integrity. This is his way of saying he doesn't want any part of frivolous, unfounded partisan investigations into nonsense 
Just remember that, says Levitt, when the investigation press releases come. Well, we will see if they will come or if this is just another thing that Bill Barr is doing to placate our crybaby, sore loser commander-in-chief at this point. Some uh, Trump theater, in other words, potentially? Just, Just a little, but we'll see. We'll see. Meanwhile, as we noted yesterday, Republicans picked up another win in the U.S. Senate race in North Carolina on Tuesday, and media have now called both the state of Alaska for Donald Trump on Wednesday, as expected, along with the winner in that state's U.S. Senate race, incumbent Republican Senator Dan Sullivan over the independent uh, Democratic Party-endorsed candidate Dr. Al Gross. In all, that has resulted in a one-seat net gain to date in the U.S. Senate for the Democrats in advance of the two U.S. Senate runoffs, crucial elections that are now scheduled to take place in Georgia on January 5. Democrats would have to pick up both of those seats currently held by Republicans to win a majority in the U.S. Senate with 50 seats controlled by each uh, each party and vice president-elect In waiting, Kamala Harris breaking the tie in favor of Democrats in the upper chamber. So a lot rests right now on the great state of Georgia, which is only one of the reasons that we have been following that state and its terrible, expensive, unverifiable new touchscreen ballot marking devices or BMD voting systems. Uh, made by a company named Dominion Voting for so long, so closely on this program for so many years. Due to the deadly and worsening pandemic, most votes, thankfully, were reportedly cast on verifiable hand-marked paper absentee ballots in Georgia this year, according to The New York Times, versus the computer-marked printouts that are created by those new touchscreen BMDs, which, in fact, can never be known after an election to reflect the intent of any voter. Approximately four million of the ballots cast in last week's presidential election, according to The Times, were hand-marked paper mail-in ballots, while about one million were unverifiable BMD ballots in a state where Joe Biden currently leads Donald Trump according to Georgia's unofficial count, by just over 14,000 votes, or 0.28% margin. That, as of my last check an hour or so ago, that's an increase, by the way, of about 1,500 votes for Joe Biden over the past 24 hours as the last of the ballots are being tallied up and canvassed around the Peach State in advance of this Friday's deadline for counties to certify their results in advance of next Friday, November 20th's state certification of all of the results. And that is all happening after Monday night's bizarre call from two incumbent from the two incumbent Republican U.S. senators in Georgia calling for the resignation of their Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, due to, in their words, failing to, quote, deliver honest and transparent elections. That was a charge from Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue without any actual evidence to support their claims of dishonesty, at least, putting 
us here at the Bradcast in the odd position of sort of having to defend Brad Raffensperger, at least in part. Yes, he did fail in numerous ways, among them choosing an unverifiable, non-transparent touchscreen voting system for the first-time use this year instead of a much more inexpensive and actually verifiable hand-marked paper ballot system for polling place voters, as strongly urged by pretty much every cybersecurity and voting systems expert in the world. Nonetheless, pretty much since Election Day, Raffensperger has been claiming that there would be a statewide recount of the presidential race this year, even though a secretary of state, according to the law as I read it, cannot actually call for one unless there is some evidence of fraud that could change the results of the election. I know of no such evidence of fraud in Georgia at this time that would change the election. A candidate, however, can petition for a recount if the results margin is under one half of one percent, which it is currently in the state. Nonetheless, Secretary Brad Raffensperger on Wednesday at a somewhat bizarre press conference made this announcement today, inaccurately describing the ballots from the BMD system as, quote, verifiable and explaining that every ballot will now be recounted under the state's new risk-limiting audit procedure in which the Secretary of State may select, this is his procedure, their procedure in Georgia, where the Secretary of State may select one race out of all of those on the ballot to be audited with a so-called RLA, risk-limiting audit procedure. Now, there's a lot of acronyms and words that he uses here in this clip that I'm going to play you that you may not understand, but don't worry. I've got someone standing by right after this clip to sort of help us try and decode what Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is actually announcing here. And apologies for the sound quality. This comes us directly from the state. The next step in the current election process is getting the final county certifications in. We'll then move to the risk limiting audit or RLA. At 1 p.m. today, I will make the official designation of which race will be the subject of the RLA. At that time, I'll designate that the RLA will be the presidential race. With the margin being so close, it will require a full by hand recount in each county. This will help build confidence. It will be an audit, a recount, and a recanvas all at once. It will be a heavy lift, but we will work with the counties to get this done in time for our state certification. Many of these workers will be working plenty of overtime. We have all worked hard to bring fair and accurate counts to assure that the will of the voters is reflected in the final count and that every voter will have confidence in the outcome wherever, whether their candidate won or lost. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on Wednesday announcing that there would be a so-called risk-limiting audit of the presidential race in the state, and that would lead to a full hand count in each county in the state. 
Well, joining us once again today to try and decode what Raffensperger is saying there, what it means and what it doesn't, and if it makes any sense at all, is Eddie Perez, the Global Director of Technology and Standards at the nonpartisan, nonprofit Open Source Election Technology Institute, or OSET. Eddie has uh, some 17 years of expertise in both election technology and election administration, having spent about 15 years as the director of product management at the Austin-based Heart InterCivic. That's the nation's third largest voting systems vendor. He's also a regular contributor to national media outlets like The Washington Post, NBC News, Politico, AP, and, uh, by the way, a highly recommended uh, by the Brad blog follow on the Twitters. Uh, at Eddie Perez TX. If you're concerned about all things related to election tech and administration, Eddie Perez, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. It is great to be with you today, as always. Uh, uh, definitely uh, an important, an important topic. Yeah, an important topic, an important and strange day, I must say. All right, we got quite a bit to <laughs> unpack here, Eddie. So forgive me if I try to fly through a whole lot of questions quickly with you as we try to figure out what's actually going on here. Uh, and I know you're sort of doing the same since Raffensperger's uh, announcement today. So let's let's start with some very basic definitions so we know what we are talking about. We, we've had the inventor of the so-called risk-limiting audit protocol on this show before. That would be UC Berkeley's Professor Philip Stark. Uh, but if you can tell us as simply as possible, uh, what is an RLA? Sure. Um, a risk-limiting audit... And what I'm about to define is it's a little bit different in some ways from what the Secretary described, which yeah. is why it's a little confusing. Mm -hmm. A risk-limiting audit, stated most simply, is it is a human review of a select sample of paper ballots that were capable of being verified by voters, and the human reviewers of that statistically significant sample simply compare their determination of how the voters' choices add up to what the voting system technology said. And the purpose of doing a risk-limiting audit is that simply on the basis of a relatively small sample, you can have a high degree of confidence about not erroneously reporting an incorrect outcome. So it is different from a recount. It is basically intended to verify the operation of the voting system, but it does so based on a smaller number of ballots. As uh, Philip Stark has explained, uh, the the number of ballots that you need to uh, hand count in order to get that uh, scientific certainty that the results were recorded accurately, that uh, changes based on the margin that you're dealing with. So if uh, candidate A beats candidate B by, you know, 90 percent to 10 percent, you only need to count a few ballots in order to have confidence that the results were correct. But if it's a very close race, and and Philip has said that uh, you know as you're counting, if you find if you do find problems, you expand the uh, the the sample size that you're counting, all the way up to a full hand count of all the ballots. If there are either problems or the margin is very small, in this case, Raffensperger is saying that because the margin is so close, there will be a full hand count across the state. Is that what you understand him to be saying, Eddie? Uh, that is what I understand him to be saying, but like you, Brad, um, you know, the story is moving so fast 
there's the possibility that we're going to get new information. It does sound to me like the secretary, in his announcement this morning, has effectively collapsed what was originally, I think, going to be a much smaller scale. Um, it's important. The RLA process was originally called a pilot. And what's important about calling it a pilot is that this is the first time that the state of Georgia was going to do such an audit. Mm-hmm. It's new procedures. They've got new technology. They've got paper records for the first time. And indeed, until today, the state was signaling that for purposes of the risk-limiting audit, that they were going to choose something other than the presidential contest, yeah. and that they were going to pick a down-ballot race. Right. So we're all kind of scratching our heads a little bit and wondering what is going on with effectively collapsing the two. And, and if I have one concern, mm-hmm. it's that the way in his announcement and the lack of, of follow-up clarity, uh, moving really fast and loose between talking about an audit on the one hand and talking about recounts on the other, the danger is that you end up with a mushy middle, so to speak, where you're not having really rigorous procedures for either one. And what we don't want to happen is to end up with a kind of election integrity theater, as it were, where neither side is particularly satisfied. And to to add more confusion here, it seems to me he's talking about these RLAs, and, and you're right, they haven't done this before. I think they did one following the maybe the June primary where they, they did a, an RLA, and in total they counted, I believe, 27 ballots in that uh, in in the past. Now we're looking yeah. at five million ballots. If we take Raffensperger at his word here, that they're going to have to count all of the ballots. But Eddie, uh, the way these RLAs work, as I understand them, it, he at, and, and Raffensperger is saying each county is going to be doing this on their own. Well, in each county, the results are not close. In some counties, you've got a blowout for Donald Trump or a blowout for Joe Biden. If you do it by county, then you wouldn't be counting all of the uh, ballots uh, in, in the sample. You'd be counting a small sample size because, in fact, the margins are quite large in each county. A- a- am I making sense here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I no, I think that does make sense, Brad. And I and I think that what is kind of um, confusing to too many. Again, uh, maybe the SOS will clarify. But I think what's really confusing matters is what does seem to be able to, to be most clearly stated is actually, actually that there is going to be a recount, okay? And, and I think that the Secretary of State, setting aside for a moment some of the questions, as you noted, why is the Secretary of State calling for a recount? Why is it not a candidate? Why mm-hmm. is it not the election officials? Setting aside the question of why a recount at all, Georgia at least has, on paper, documented procedures for recounts. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of questions there. There can be lots that can be asked about them. But they do have procedures for recounts. And at the level of the election officials, you can imagine, okay, they know how to do a recount. And they also have procedures that they can refer to for specifics. It's really, really kind of gumming up the works for the secretary to be Throwing in the talk of risk-limiting audits, which to me, my concern is sometimes it almost sounds like it has more of a PR quality to it 
it sounds impressive. They are really important. Risk-limiting audits were invented for the purpose of election integrity. But you can't simply overlay the phrase on top of what is otherwise a very challenging, very labor-intensive recount process that has its own procedures and is subject to its own problems. You can't throw in that phrase and, and try to convince everybody that you're really just kind of doing both at, at the same time and that that doesn't add further complications. Um, it does, and what I don't want to happen is, uh, again, I don't want folks to cut corners on either the recount or on what they think a risk-limiting audit should be and end up with a message to the voters that isn't really fully supported by the activities they just did. Or I'd add to that, Eddie, uh, what people think a recount is, because as I understand it in Georgia, a recount is just a matter of taking the uh, the, the the paper, the hand-marked paper ballots that were cast via absentee and the computer-marked uh, pieces of paper that are printed out by the touchscreens and running them through the, uh, the, uh, the computer tabulators that scanned them the first time. Now, in the case of the uh, uh, the the BMDs, the computer marked papers, there is a human readable text on there that the voter is supposed to look at and is supposed to uh, approve as accurately reflecting their vote. But recent studies have found that some 93% of voters don't notice when the computer has actually changed something on their printout. That said... It's not even that Engl- that uh, the, the, the human-readable uh, text that is uh, scanned in those scanners. It's the QR code, the barcode, that is actually scanned when those uh, papers go through the ballot. Uh, these are the, again, not the uh, hand-marked ones. Those actually read the, the, the ballots, uh, the, the voters' choices. But on the computer-marked papers, they read the QR codes when those are re-scanned. So, in one sense... A risk-limiting audit, an RLA, is actually a hand count of the paper ballots, whereas a recount is just a rescan of the ballots, at least in Georgia. Is that how, that's how I understand it. Do you understand it that way as well, Eddie? Well, you're asking questions uh, in exactly the right place, Brad. There is a confusing topic that I don't think that the Secretary of State in Georgia has been sufficiently clear about. And it is exactly what you said, namely it makes a really big difference um, whether a recount is being performed with machines or whether it is a true hand count. And most importantly, given this mashup of words that Secretary Raffensperger has been saying, we honestly don't know, or I should say I don't know, what exactly the Secretary means when he says there will be a full hand count. One of the things that, that I think leads so the need for clarification on that is there was at least one regional reporter in Georgia who shortly after the press conference reported that he got a clarification from Georgia's, um, in the SOF, the chief, operate, chief operating officer, mm-hmm. Gabriel Sterling. Yeah. And according to this regional reporter, he said the COO and the Secretary of State's office clarified that by hand count, What they actually mean is they're going to hand-prepare and hand-arrange a lot of stacks of ballots that are going to go through the automated scanners. But wait, that's that's not enough, because then apparently, shortly after that, the Secretary of State said, no, 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 we we don't mean that. We really do mean a true hand count. Well, needless to say, 
the back and forth that is going on on the central question of whether human eyes are going to be counting voter-verified marks on a piece of paper on a traditional ballot, whether they might potentially be counting human-readable text on paper ballots, or alternatively, you're right, if they do end up using automated machines for the recount, then all of the controversy and concerns about non-human-readable QR codes uh, certainly would still apply. And frankly, all of that right now uh, just remains a, a pretty significant box of of additional questions that need clarification right now. And I would say, Eddie, uh, the fact that you don't know and the fact that I don't know uh, really what he's talking about, well, that's that's one thing, I guess. That's our problem. We need to try to figure it out. I suspect Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, does not actually know what he's talking about because, for example, again, if it's going to be a county-by-county risk-limiting audit, you wouldn't count all of the ballots in a risk-limiting audit if you go by that uh, protocol. You would, you know, only count a small sample in each county depending on what the margin is in that county. So I don't think Brad Raffensperger even knows what he's talking about, to be frank. He also, because he, you know, says at one point uh, that, uh, that, oh, thank God we now have a verified paper ballot. We don't. Uh, because not on those machines. He blamed an activist federal judge for uh, requiring this paper ballot. Judge Totenberg is not an activist. Uh, But he did say this as part of the press conference, suggesting that he was talking not about the QR codes, but about the actual human-readable text. Well, because we now have that verifiable paper ballot, for the first time in 18 years, we're going to have something to count. Instead of just pressing a button and getting the same answer. So we'll be counting every single piece of paper, every single ballot, every single lawfully cast legal ballot. That will be the names that are on the ballot, whoever they voted for president, the English written word. <laughs> I think he means the human readable word. It doesn't necessarily have to be English. Uh, am, am, am I uh, wrong, Eddie, to suggest that it's unclear whether the Secretary of State himself knows what he's talking about here? I, I think it is unclear, and, and it is, really, it makes a very big difference, both in terms of the procedure and in terms of the conclusions that the public can deduce. Um, let's just focus for the time being, because they are the ones that are more complicated. If we focus on the paper records that are printed uh, from the ballot marking devices, mm-hmm. and it's important also, Brad, for, for anybody that hasn't seen one, you know, they look very different from a traditional paper ballot. Unlike a traditional paper ballot that has every choice that is available to the voter on every race, mm-hmm. and you have the little uh, ovals or boxes and people mark their choices, what the paper records look like is basically a summary format. Mm-hmm. It has the contest title, and instead of listing all of the choices that the voter had available, it will only include the human-readable text of what the system is indicating this is the voter's choice from the touchscreen. screen. Mm-hmm. And as I think many listeners know, the issue is that unless you are bypassing the automated voting system read of the QR code, mm-hmm. the human-readable text doesn't really matter. Now, in the present circumstance with Georgia, even if we're still a little confused uh, about whether Secretary Raffensperger knows whether they're really counting from the human text or not, they need to figure that out, and they need to really clearly express that to the public 
immediately because it is very, very important in terms of the level of confidence. One of the things, if you really were doing a machine recount of the BMD-printed paper record, Mm -hmm. uh, as people like Philip Stark and others have pointed out, um, unless you can also do things like verify the chain of custody, and particularly given what we know, that so many voters do not, in fact, verify their paper record when it comes out of a BMD, there's just really, really big questions about whether a BMD-produced paper record can be said to be a a trusted, auditable paper record that reflected the voters' choice. Well, if you take it, if you take it, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, the last thing I was going to say, even the most generous reading of the confusion around whether they will recount the BMD ballots from the text or from QR codes, even if one were to generously say, okay, it sounded like Raffensperger is indicating they're going to read from the text, Right. there's still a whole lot of other really, really important questions about a recount, which need to be documented, which need to be transparently displayed to the public. I'm talking about things, I already mentioned one of them, How did you protect the chain of custody? Mm -hmm. How do we know that only the ballots that were originally counted and every single one of the ballots that was originally counted is still there? Exactly no more and no less. How do we know that they are the authentic ballots? We also need to think about transparency in the form of observation. Mm -hmm. Yes, you need to be able to have sunlight on a process like a recount. At the same time, you need to ensure that nobody is touching the ballots, for example. Mm -hmm. And to circle back to where you started with all of this, Brad, I think the concern, again, earlier I talked about, you know, sliding among all these words. Is it the human text? Is it the QR code? There are not a lot of procedures for the RLA itself. Um, The the real concern is that all of this stuff is, is playing too fast and loose, and if the state has not simply done the due diligence to methodically document and be in a position to present that method of procedure to the media and to citizens, then you really, you just have less confidence in what's going on well, there. You know, and that's a big concern. Yeah, it is a big concern. And, you know, to be clear, uh, the chain of custody concerns you mentioned, that is true for all of the ballots, whether they're computer-marked or hand-marked ballots. But uh, Philip Stark, and I, I was speaking with him this morning, you know, he will tell you, that uh, uh, you you can't do a risk-limiting audit of computer-marked ballots. Well, you can do them, but they do not tell you whether the uh, results actually reflect voter intent or not because it is impossible to discern voter intent from these computer-marked ballots. And it's one of the reasons I've been pointing this out in Georgia for years now, uh, they use the similar system in Philadelphia. I've pointed out that, you know, Donald Trump would be within his rights in a close election to say, hey, we can't know if any of those ballots printed on a BMD actually reflect the intent of the voter. And he may just well say that. And he just w- may well be right. He is would be right about that. And that infuriates me, which is why I'm so against these goddamn systems. Eddie, do you have yeah. any idea why Raffensperger, you mentioned that he uh, had not until today said he was going to do a, a, the RLA of the presidential race. Do you have any idea why he's suddenly doing this? after he said he was going to choose a different race, which, by the way, is a dubious process in the first place, that the Secretary of State gets to decide what's going to be randomly counted. But 
Any idea why he has suddenly decided to to do the presidential race? You know, Brad, I don't. There's obviously not a clear answer, or, or we wouldn't be asking all of these good questions and then you know wondering about why the state hasn't been more forthcoming with information. But here, here's what I think can be said, uh, e- even if it is even if it is a bit of speculation. Um, in the absence of clear procedures and documentation, and in the absence of just really clear evidence that this is a professional and methodical process where the state has done its homework and they've crossed their T's and dotted their I's and they're going to put it out there, in the absence of all of that, it's not unreasonable, as some people are wondering, to say, is this just a lot of political theater? Is this something to just kind of give people a feel-good about where the election is and where it turned out. Now, again, to be clear, I want to really emphasize that it is important to note that in order for the public to have confidence in outcomes, mm-hmm. yeah, we want evidence. Yeah. We want to have evidence, evidence-based elections. In order for people to be confident, they can't go on blind faith. Confidence cuts both ways. If you're going to have people that are making allegations of malfeasance or wrongdoing in Georgia, then absolutely they should be ponying up the evidence of that. Thus far, we're not really seeing that. I think it's fair for Raffensperger to say, look, we need more than anecdotes and hunches here. We need real evidence. By the same token, the, the need for evidence also goes on the side of election officials. And right now, with both sides coming up with a lot of shortcomings, I don't I worry that we are left with a little bit of political theater. Yeah. And I don't think that that you know, helps the conundrum where the country is. Yeah. Election integrity theater. I think you're absolutely right, Eddie Perez. Uh, and I was going to ask you, as a former voting machine, a reformed voting machine guy, I will call you today. Uh, you, you, have you seen, I mean, we, we have been, uh, you know, debunking, uh, you know, claim after claim over the past week on this show that has come forward, looking into all of them. But have you seen any evidence that troubles you in Georgia, you know, as a former uh, voting machine guy? I have not, Brad. I have not seen any evidence of that, and and I'll tell you why it matters. What is out there, and what I think the media and observers have done a good job of, and this is why the debunking can happen, is yes, errors take place. Errors involving technology take place. There are election officials that make mistakes. There were electronic poll books in Georgia that were configured incorrectly Mm -hmm. and that posed problems for then posting voters and and having voter activation cards. You can have... um, you know, people that are using the machines in the wrong way. There are a lot of instances of that that have happened in the country, but there is no evidence anywhere, um, not from the media, and the media has contacted election officials in states across the country. So there's no reason to believe that there's anything systemic about any of that. Mm-hmm. And having said that, I'm going to add one other thing that I think is really important. Yeah. Even though, even though there is no reason to think that mistakes involving technology involve rigged elections or that they are necessarily mischief, mm-hmm. it's also fair and valuable for the nation and for listeners of this show to be doing what they're doing, which is to ask for questions and to demand transparency and to keep working on this race that has no end to keep going towards better and better and better evidence-based elections. Yep. Just because we don't have evidence that there are serious problems that affected the outcomes in this election, it can also still be true 
that it is a reasonable concern as a nation looking mm-hmm. forward to ask questions about a democracy where we have a small number of private election vendors that are responsible for something as important as counting votes, and to ask questions about do we have sufficient transparency on that, mm-hmm. and do states have enough requirements for risk-limiting audits. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of a both-and world. Yeah. We, can resist, we can resist the feverish disinformation um, of things that do not point to terrible election technology, and at the same time, as a nation, we can say, we can do a lot better. We can hold vendors more accountable. We can have more legislation that imposes more oversight. There are different ways we can work for more transparency, and more and more states can mandate risk-limiting audits and so forth. So I just wanted to say that. I think it's really important to think holistically. And let me add that I have absolutely no problem with a full public hand count in any state, by the way, uh, but certainly here in Georgia, which is uh, clearly very close. I have no problem with that, presuming that is what we are talking about, as long as it is overseen by all sides, etc. That said, since we can't have any confidence really in the uh, computer marked ballots, uh, it, and you've got a million of them or so, it, it begs the question as to what we will actually learn from this. And it, if it is, as you say, you know, election integrity theater. But last question here for you, Eddie. Uh, it, it should be noted that, uh, you know, if by some magic, uh, I don't know, some magic occurs here and a problem is found with the ballots as they have been counted and the state flips to Donald Trump. Well, Joe Biden would still be the winner of the presidential election based on all of the other states right now. So even flipping Georgia does not get Trump there unless a number of other states were somehow flipped as well. But as someone who has seen a number of these recounts, Eddie Perez, if if likely smaller ones over the years, What is your sense about the likelihood of enough problems being discovered to actually flip the results of a race that Biden currently leads by more than 14,000 votes? Do we see errors of that size that are revealed during these uh, hand count, recounts, RLAs, whatever you want to call them? Uh, Brad, by historical measures, uh, that's a really big margin, and the historical data shows that um, both in terms of just how frequently races ever do change with recounts and the sizes of the margins, uh, no, that that falls completely outside the norm. Uh, Really quickly, if people, there's a great organization by the name of Fair Fair Vote that just as recently as this November, they did a summary of the history of recounts, and there's really four important things you can say about recounts. They're quite rare. Um, The outcome reversals are even rarer. They found in their... Uh, research that only one out of about every 1,900 uh, statewide elections recounts results re-reversal. Uh, the margin shifts in the recounts are really, really small. Mm-hmm. They found that the average margin shift is only about 430 votes mm-hmm. between front runners, mm-hmm. and they especially found that in larger elections, the margin shifts are even smaller. Mm-hmm. So. I don't expect that on the merits, the recount, or whether it wants to confusingly be talked about as a, as a quote-unquote RLA, I don't think that what's happening here in Georgia rises to the level of an RLA. But be that as it may, I don't expect that these activities are going to result in any dramatic changes 
uh, in the final count. And to me, that, that is kind of the important place where I leave it. Mm-hmm. I think at the same time that we've talked about, there's a lot of questions. There's confusion here. The state of Georgia and the Secretary of State need to do a better job of explaining what they're doing. My main takeaway here is we don't have any clear evidence of real malfeasance. What is going on, though, is this whole episode is illustrating that elections are really serious business. And it is absolutely incumbent upon secretaries of state and state election directors to be methodical, to be precise, to be exhaustive and clear about what they're doing, to understand the difference between a recount and an audit, and to be in a position where you can really present all of that information to the public and to the media at a high level of assurance where people can understand it. That, that's and, the ultimate failing, I think, of the Secretary of State of Georgia yeah. right now. It is a communication and process uh, question that, that really needs to be improved, well, hopefully, in the days ahead. And I would add what uh, needs to happen in our elections is that we have to run elections that we can actually oversee, that we can actually know that if we, you know, when we're counting the ballots, that we are actually looking at voter intent and everyone can know that whether they are the winner or the loser of any particular count, we all have to walk away with confidence in those results. And when you've got, when you're using unverifiable uh, ballots in a race that, that is with this small of a margin, I'm afraid that's going to be impossible ultimately. But Eddie Perez, I got to get out. Eddie is the uh, global director of technology and standards at the nonpartisan, nonprofit Open Source Election Technology Institute, or OSET. You can find them at OSETFoundation.org. You can follow them on the Twitter at OSET, that's OSET. Uh, and of course, you can and should follow Eddie on the Twitters himself. He is Eddie Perez TX. Eddie, thank you for joining us for what I think may be pretty much the geekiest segment on elections, <laughs> the nerdiest segment we have ever done, and I really appreciate you helping us uh, uh, walk through this uh, mess today. Thanks, Eddie. My my pleasure, my pleasure, Brad. It's always great to talk to you and your audience. And uh, yeah, let's keep uh, keep the plain language up. It really helps people. People need to be understanding, and they need to be a part of these important issues. So, thanks for having me. Thank you, brother. You you may be back soon. Thanks, man. Okay, I I know, Desi. <laughs> I know I'm running way over time. Oh, yeah. So we will get out. But I got to say, I don't think Brad Raffensperger knows what the hell he is doing in Georgia. And if he's trying to make things better, I think he's just helped to make them a whole lot worse. Oh, dear. But we will see. Yep. All right, quick break. And we are back with more on the Bradcast. <sighs> I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I believe I mentioned this on Twitter. 
once or twice over the past couple of weeks, but I don't know that I've said <clears throat> that I've said it out loud since Election Day on this show. This nation owes a great debt of gratitude to elections officials and those who worked this year as poll workers, ballot counters, and yes, poll watchers and ballot count observers, all of whom worked ridiculously long hours under absurdly difficult conditions. And this is always true, but this year, in the middle of a deadly and worsening pandemic, thanks in most parts to our idiot president, it is more true this year than ever. We owe them all a huge debt of gratitude for their efforts to support democracy under exceedingly difficult and dangerous conditions. So I want to note that. With that in mind, my friend Richard Hayes Phillips, one of the great election integrity analysts out there, sent me a story from Newsweek last night along with the note, this is why we were encouraged by some to vote by mail. Uh, and uh, before I share the story, I will add that this is also why, for the first time in my life, and Des, you know it because we've talked about this off air, uh, I was not able to, in good conscience, encourage folks this year to sign up to be poll workers. Yeah, I know. I have always done that in the past, you know, told people that, hey, it's it's great. Sign up for to be a poll worker, a poll watcher, et cetera. Not this year. I couldn't do it. Despite the fact that we needed them so badly, I just couldn't do it knowing that I might be responsible personally for encouraging someone to risk their life and potentially be killed in the bargain. And believe me, uh, I also felt guilty about not doing it as well. I know. An impossible choice. Uh, with that in mind, um, this story from Newsweek uh, that Richard sends, my home state of Missouri's second largest county saw a coronavirus outbreak among its election board after more than two dozen workers tested positive for the disease amid a statewide spike in cases. At least 28 employees of the Jackson County Election Board have now tested positive for COVID-19 as of Tuesday. Tammy Brown, the board's director, told the AP uh, eight, full, eight full-time officials and 20 part-time employees received their positive diagnoses over the past two and a half weeks. Most are doing well and recovering at home. Two of the part-time workers are hospitalized with one in intensive care right now. Mm. Brown believes that uh, they most likely got infected by voters. Jackson County is Missouri's second largest county behind St. Louis County. It's the home of Kansas City, although Kansas City has its own election board. Even so, the Jackson County Board would have handled votes cast by nearly 200,000 residents. Out of them, more than 60,000 people chose to vote absentee or via mail-in ballot, according to Brown. Many of those people would have passed through the board's main office or the absentee voting office in the days leading up to November 3 to pick up or drop off their ballots. Brown said we had thousands and thousands of voters through here every day. People who requested mail-in and absentee ballots were walking in their applications and then walking in their ballots also. Of course, that is in no small part, uh, of course, because of Donald Trump in his pathetic, deranged attempt to win a second term, actually helping to slow down the U.S. Postal Service so that people could not even trust the post office to get their ballots delivered in time this year. 
While the election board uh, asked voters to wear face coverings and to not come inside the building if they felt ill, this, by the way, in a state where the Republican governor, Mike Parson, has refused to issue a statewide mask mandate, that even after he himself got COVID last month. And by the way, Missouri just reportedly re-elected Parson for a second term. In any event, Brown uh, thinks that uh, many people, uh, several people did not adhere to the uh, uh, request to wear face coverings when they came inside the building into the offices. The board also offered drive through voting for residents who had COVID-19 or were in quarantine after coming into contact with an infected person. Part-time workers initially managed those drive through lanes, but after so many of them became ill, full-time election workers uh, were then put on duty, according to AP. Brown questioned whether it will be possible for the Jackson County Health Department to even conduct contact tracing at this point, given that the employees came into contact with literally thousands of voters. Jackson County is seeing a seven-day average of nearly 168 new cases per day, with that metric rising sharply over the past two weeks. Statewide, the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services reported 4,256 new COVID-19 cases yesterday alone for a cumulative total of more than 216,000 cases. The department has uh, reached a new daily high of coronavirus-related deaths as well, according to KSDK. More than 2,000 patients are now hospitalized in the Show Me State for coronavirus-related illnesses. Missouri is part of a nationwide trend of rising coronavirus statistics. Daily case numbers, along with the positivity, hospitalization, and fatality rates, are all shooting up in pretty much damn near every state in the union at this point, with the U.S. reporting more than 100,000 new COVID-19 cases for uh, seven days in a row as of yesterday. In fact, the totals are now topping 120,000 new cases a day, even though Donald Trump told us that we wouldn't hear a word about COVID after Election Day because it was all a big hoax to ruin his chance at re-election or something. Officials, by the way, now suggest we could see as many as 400,000 deaths in the U.S. by Christmas if the current trends continue. And I just still want to know when Donald Trump's trial for uh, crimes against humanity begins. Before or after he's dragged out of the White House, kicking and screaming at some point over the next 70 days. Quick break, and we're back with our closing few minutes on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. The broadcast survives thanks to you and your support. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to help us continue to do over your public airwaves what we try to do five days a week. That's bradblog.com donate, and thank you. Des. <laughs> we will get out on time. We I better. promise you. We always do. <laughs> One more story here from Reuters. Nearly 80% of Americans, including more than half of Republicans, 
which is both good and bad news, recognize President-elect Joe Biden as the winner of the November 3 election after most media organizations have called the race for the Democrat based on his leads in critical battleground states, according to a Reuters Ipsos poll taken from Saturday afternoon, uh, right after all the media called it for Biden, uh, through Tuesday. The survey finds 79% of U.S. adults believe Biden won the White House. Another 13% said it hadn't been decided yet. Three, just 3% said Donald Trump won. And 5% said they didn't know. But the re, uh, the results here are split along party lines. Uh, almost every Democrat said Biden won. Only about 6 in 10 Republicans. Just over half of the Republicans believe Biden won. And what's funny is that yeah. 3%, they're the ones that are getting all the attention and taking up all the oxygen on Facebook. Yeah, well, that's true. I, I mean, when I first saw this story, I was like, oh, good. At least 80% of the country gets it, and they're not going along with Trump. Uh, but then you read it, and it's really, you know, barely just over half of Republicans at this point who true. get it. And that was as of Tuesday. So, uh, and every day it's probably getting uh, fewer and fewer Republicans who are buying it as they are believing the crap being put out by Donald Trump on his Twitter feed. Oh, boy. How many days? 70 days, right? Buckle up. All right, here we go. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to my guest today, Eddie Perez of the Open Source Election Technology Institute, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated as ever. If you missed any portion of today's show or wish to share it with anyone who may need to hear it, you can always download it for free at bradblog.com. Hey, while you're there, please consider clicking on one of the donate buttons or just going straight to bradblog.com slash donate. We rely only on listeners and readers to stay on your public airwaves. So thank you for whatever you can do to help us continue. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman, and I mean it. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.